0: Good Sunday morning, Rashini Rajkumar here along with Dr. David Hilden and this is everyone's favorite show. It's Open Lines. Texts are already coming in. Phone and text lines are open 651-989-9226 and Dr. Hilden lots to get into today but I understand there is a national blood shortage.
1: Hi, Racine. Yes, indeed, there is. Good morning to you, and good morning to everybody. I did want to lead off the show with that very topic today. Uh, we have a blood shortage in this country, not just in the Twin Cities, but in the whole country, and we are really trying to uh, encourage people in the in Minnesota, and the Upper Midwest, to donate blood. I am uh, in a unique position in that I sometimes order that blood just. Yesterday, I had to order two units for a young woman who, who badly, badly needed blood. No, Through no fault of her own, she needed blood. And and we're in a real shortage. So regardless of what blood type you are, if you haven't donated blood before, it's easy. It takes less than an hour. It's free to you. And if you have donated blood before and it's been at least uh, whatever the, the day, there's a there's a time in between how many often you can donate. It's about two months. Please everybody consider donating blood this week. I encourage you to go to mbc.org. That's m as in memorial, b as in blood, c as in center. mbc.org and you can find out how to donate blood. The other number is 1888 give bld. 1888 give bld. So the Uh, The the blood that we use is used for people with cancer, people getting chemotherapy, people who are bleeding from um, wounds that they have, uh, people who are bleeding at surgeries. So it is at a critical shortage. It's mostly short because of the pandemic. Nobody was, well, not nobody, but not as many people were going out giving blood over the past year and people weren't needing surgeries as much, but now they are, and the blood supply is low. So please go to mbc.org and donate blood, and you will be helping more people than you know. I appreciate you bringing that up, Rashini.
0: Well, Dr. Hilton, yes, and it is a very serious situation, and I understand we're heading into trauma season. For people who don't even understand what that means and i would say i guess i didn't realize we're heading into trauma season what does that mean is it the weather situations that up the number of people you're seeing or what is that exactly
1: it's almost that simple it's almost weather it's the seasons and so our hospital and hospitals everywhere see trauma year-round and when we mean trauma we're talking about um, accidents, things like that, Um, uh, broken bones, um, car accidents, like, well, they go way up around Memorial Day in this part of the country because the weather got nicer and people are outside. Many more people are on the lakes. And so we see a lot of trauma around boating accidents and drowning, things like that. People are on their motorcycles. People are camping, they're hiking, they're out and about, they're doing Water sports and they're doing land sports and and um, so that all leads to a higher volume of trauma at, at at big hospitals like Hennepin where I am, and also the 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 downside of that or the little the little bit sadder side of that is that violence does go up in our communities when the weather gets hotter, and so uh, we do we literally call it trauma season at H- at HCMC where I am and I know they do at other hospitals as well. So that, we're, we're just starting that up too. We're starting to see um, many more um, unfortunate accidents uh, in the hospital.
0: All right. And Dr. Hilden, before we go to break, I want to remind people how to communicate with us during the week. As always, you can call and text us today, 651 989 9226. But Dr. Hilden and I are both on Twitter. You can find him at Dr. David Hilden, just as it uh, sounds. And I'm at Rashini R with an O on Rashini. And you can text, uh, tweet us those questions on Twitter. We will uh, do our best to get to them during the week. But if you tag us, We will find those and make sure you get those questions answered. And I know also, Dr. Hilden, you do uh, regular blogging.
1: I do. I've taken a little break for the last month or, well, last few months, but I do a blog at myhealthymatters.org. It's just the name of the show, but put the word my in front of it. I have um, many people follow that all the time, and you don't get any, any marketing. You don't get any extra emails. Um, I just send you a, a notice through email when there's a new post. Now, that's another really nice way to stay in touch with me, and you can even leave your own comments. That's at myhealthymatters.org.
0: So, I mean, you haven't been blogging. Have you been, like, busy or something? I mean, what's going on?
1: Yeah, it's been a little (laughs) bit busy. So I did this series um, that was really fun to do that I've sort of let go now. It was called uh, A Doctor's Diary from a Pandemic, where I didn't do long posts, but just shorter little, oh, my goodness, look what happened here. One of them was as simple as I went into our hospital cafeteria, which was a ghost town, normally one of the busiest places in the hospital. I took a picture of this empty ghost-looking uh, hospital cafeteria and I said what it was like to continue to work full hours picture of the empty ghost looking uh, hospital cafeteria and I said what it was like to continue to work full hours in a place that never shut down for one minute for the last year and a half but what it was like to have some of the things that we take for granted not there anymore so it was kind of interesting I'll resume some blogging uh, very shortly but people can go and look at all the doctor's diary from a pandemic post and, Maybe you'll find something interesting in there.
0: All right, great stuff. Okay, much more Healthy Matters. The texts are already coming in. You can call us or text us, 651-989-9226. We also have some calls already holding when we return. We are back on Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden and Roshini Rajkumar with you on this very hot Sunday morning. It is our open line show. Call and text us 651-989-9226. We already have lots of calls and texts coming in. Let's go to Diane in St. Paul. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I had the J&J uh, vaccine on March 10th. I've been doing a lot of research regarding the Delta variant. And I, I know that the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, vaccines help, uh, not so we don't get that variant. But I can't find information if the J&J vaccine does anything positive for the Delta variant. Do you have any idea about that?
1: I don't have anything definite, Diane, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. What we are, we are learning so much every day as the weeks wear on about um, the variants and the protection from the various vaccines. And what we are concluding in general is that whatever vaccine you got gives you loads of protection against all of them, all of the variants. Now, does it give you complete protection? I would think the answer to that is no, none of the vaccines have complete protection. And if I were you and if I had got the J&J vaccine, anybody listening who got that, I would be really comfortable knowing that I got a highly effective vaccine and I wouldn't worry about it any further. That that advice might change. It is possible that that Delta variant, which is now just a small percentage of the infections, but it is possible that that variant will become dominant and more, we will learn more later. And all of us might need to get some other kind of booster shot, whether it be the same vaccine or something different. So in the meantime, you are protected as well as anybody. And I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't work. Uh, there's nothing more you can do now about it. In other words, I wouldn't go looking for a different vaccine. I would just stick to the guidelines and uh, r- relax knowing that you, um, that you're protected and stay tuned for more information in the coming months.
0: All right. Rod is on the line from Richfield. Good morning, Rod. Good
1: morning. Good morning. Say, um, My mother was a registered nurse, and she worked in the emergency rooms, so her and and my dad gave blood regularly. I give blood regularly uh, since I was able to. Um, I've also had to receive blood, but I feel it's more blessed to give than receive. I was wondering, why is it almost impossible to make synthetic blood, and if it'll be made in the future, what is the outlook for that? bet, I'll bet, and I don't have knowledge of this, that there are people all in labs all over the world working on exactly that. We do have many types of fluids that we can give patients that are manufactured. Uh, We do it all the time in terms of salt water and the like. And we give other uh, products to uh, patients that are uh, that simulate at least the watery part of your blood. It's very difficult, however, to come up with all the biologic organic parts of the blood, and it's so far nearly impossible to come up with all of the beneficial things that are in there. And so we are we're we're sticking with human blood. What people should know when you donate is that your unit of blood, that red liquid in the bag, doesn't just given it isn't given in that form to a patient. It is spun down into the various components. So your blood will get part, all the red blood cells will be put in a separate bag and the platelets will be put in a separate bag and the watery plasma parts will be put in a separate bag. And so your blood will help many people when you give just a single unit. And the other thing to know about blood donation is that your body replenishes the fluid part of it very quickly within hours or days, and it will replace all of the cells within some weeks. So it's completely safe to give. And my very last comment is I just want to echo what you said, Rob. It is uh, the best feeling you can have is when you walk out of a blood transfusion center knowing the good you just did. You will feel marvelous for what you just did.
0: And there's a cookie, right? There's a cookie afterward.
1: Oh, I had Lorna Dunes and Oreo cookies and a ginger ale. And, you know, at my uh, when I donated a week ago. So yeah, you get free food too.
0: I love it. Okay. We have lots of calls and texts, and I remind everyone on this show, we promise to get to you if you call us. We do our best to get to you if you text us. So that means try to call 651-989-9226. Kathy is on the line for Mead Prairie. Hi, Kathy. Hi there. Good morning. Dr. Hilton, thank you for taking my call. Wondering what you have um, maybe to say about Huntington's disease. We have a family member that's getting progressively worse. Uh, is there anything new? Any new treatment for
1: them? Kathy, thank you for your call and and for being a listener. I am not sufficiently knowledgeable about the latest advances in Huntington's disease, so I would be, I would not be, it wouldn't be a good place for me to talk about um, the specific advancements. That's outside my area of expertise. What I can say about Huntington's disease and for people who maybe aren't familiar, it's a neurologic, a progressive neurologic movement disease, and that there are there are resources uh, from people who are specialists. In other words, I would there's the Huntington Society. There are specialists who treat Huntington's disease. And although if you're a, if your family member already has it, Kathy, you already know this. But for everybody else. It is such an important thing to talk to the person who has Huntington's, find out their wishes for treatment and for uh, seeking out support to find out exactly that what's the latest that's out there. As for research, I'm I'm not even going to make a stab at, at it about what's out there because it's not some of the medical literature I follow closely enough. I do know you're already doing this, but I recommend anybody with Huntington's disease, make sure you're seeing a specialist in that disorder. And I'm sorry, I don't have much more than that, Kathy.
0: All right, so let's try to get through uh, some text before we have to go to break. Again, the number is 651-989-9226. This listener wants to know, can older women get inflammation in a breast? What are the symptoms?
1: You certainly can. Inflammation can happen in any of your tissue, and it's just a matter of fluid and cells going to an area. In women, you can get it in the ductwork of your breasts, and it can be a painful, swollen, sometimes red area. It can get infected. And in women, we call this mastitis. It's very common in women who are breastfeeding and a little less common in older women. But you should have any sore spot, red spot, lump, lump, Um, even just a swelling in your breast, you should have all of those evaluated um, relatively quickly. Don't wait and sit on it. They can get inflamed. They can get infected. And of course, there can be cancer. So that is a possibility. And make sure you see a physician for that um, in a matter of days if you're having that, if you're a woman.
0: All right, Dr. Hodan, let's get in this text before we go back to the phone lines after the break. This person says I have type 2 diabetes and Devix disease, both lower my immune system. My doctor tells me I have no measurable antibodies but may still be protected by T cells. Can you explain protection with T cells?
1: Yeah, the um a person with an, an immune system there's all kinds of variant, you know, ver what am I trying to say? Variations on what your immune system can do. The anti- antibodies that are produced by vaccination are called B cells, B as in boy. They, they develop the antibodies, which are the first defense against fighting infection. But there's another kind of cell called a T cell, T as in transit. Uh, the T st- uh, is a different kind of white blood cell that is activated in your immune system and provides a separate type of immunity that is often very helpful against viruses. Your body needs both of them. The vaccines elicit an antibody or B-cell response, and some people aren't getting that response, but your T-cells are still there and might be doing some good. We don't have enough data to know if that is adequate to protect you against COVID, though. So if you have an immune-compromised situation, even if you're vaccinated, we still encourage people to take extra precautions because we don't know if your immune system is up to the task of fighting off COVID.
0: All right. Open Lines continues after the break, but here's the number. Remember, we promise to get to you if you call. We'll do our best if you text 651-989-9226. All right, we're going to keep on chatting away here. we got a couple technical difficulties, doctor. So let's get in one more text. Is there a home treatment for essential jaw tremors?
1: Not really. Uh, There are some medications you can take. Um, you can do relaxation activities. So I, I said not really, but you can do relaxation techniques uh, and and um, things to reduce, uh, you know, meditation or stress reduction things. But mostly, I would go to a physical therapist. If you have a tremor in your jaw, see a physical therapist or an ear, nose, throat doctor, and they can give you some better uh, tips for something a little bit more durable.
0: All right, excellent. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, 651-989-9226 as Open Lines continues. We are back on Healthy Matters. It is our Open Lines show. You can call us or text us, 651-989-9226. Let's go right to the phones. Joellen has been waiting from Brooklyn, Brooklyn Park. Hi, Joellen. Oh, my question is, I have given blood in
1: the past and not done well, but okay. And uh, this last time that I gave, which was several years ago, I had plenty of fluids before I went. Afterwards, I ate the little cookie and drank the fluids. But when I got up to leave, I actually became so dizzy that I had to sit back down and wait some more. So since then, I have been very frightened of the possibility of giving blood again. Should I try? First of all, first of all, thank you for giving in the past and, and thank you for considering it again. And because it is true that some people do get dizzy. And you've lost some of your body fluid, and so that is natural. It's not dangerous, but it's frightening. And so I applaud you for even considering it. Uh, it is a personal decision in your case. If you feel really able to just drink as much fluid as you possibly can, eat a big breakfast, eat a big lunch, and then get, um, and drink a lot of fluids, then you, that your body is in its best condition to go in and do and give blood. And then maybe take a little extra time, just lie on the comfortable chair they're giving you for an extra five or ten minutes, and then slowly go over to the little cookie eating area and and take extra time. If you're comfortable doing that, it's still safe to give it a try. It is also understandable if that just seems a little bit too kind of uh, anxiety-producing. That would be understandable. It's not for everybody. Um, for others who haven't donated, a little dizziness is, is normal. But if it's really something um, disconcerting for you, I do understand that. But um, just make sure you go in plenty hydrated. And it's safe to do it again if, if you're at a, a place where you feel comfortable doing so.
0: Thanks for holding, Beth from Glencoe. What's your question today?
1: Prior, prior to 1993, I was a blood donor. In 1993, I was diagnosed with T-cell lymphoma. My last treatment was in 2000. My doctor says I'm uh, here. Now, can I give blood again? Generally, people, there are exclusion criteria for giving blood and cancer is one of them if you've had cancer recently and 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 I'm going to be vague about what does recently mean i think that most the period of exclusion is mostly around 1 year although it might be a little bit longer so if your cancer was some time ago particularly if it were a solid tumor cancer like breast cancer colon cancer prostate cancer if you had those in the past and you've been cancer free for over a year, most blood centers will accept your blood. You had lymphoma, which is more of a, a hematologic or a bloodborne cancer. So I would for sure call before you even go down there to see if having lymphoma 20 years ago was is an exclusion criteria because I'm not sure of that one since that was a blood cancer.
0: Right. Doctor, along those lines, this one person earlier in the show texted in, can I donate with stage one prostate cancer?
1: Generally, if your cancer is active, they're going to ask you not to donate. And the funny thing about that is, is that it might not be because your blood isn't safe from from to give to somebody, although they always want to make sure uh, that your blood is safe to give somebody. It's also for your own benefit. If you are actively fighting cancer, it's probably not the time to give blood. The other thing about the that brings me up to the blood supply issue, our blood supply is so exceptionally safe that patients can confidently receive blood knowing that it has been checked for everything that would make it unsafe. So that's why there's these exclusion criteria they just need to make sure your blood is safe to give to somebody and that it's safe for you. So if you're currently being treated for cancer, I think that's not a good thing for you to be doing right now.
0: I love that blood donation is such a hot topic for people this morning. So obviously there are a lot of people out there who care and there are a lot of people who need that blood. Jim is on the line from Minnetonka. Good morning, Jim.
1: Good morning, Machine and Dr. Hilton. Thank you very much for taking my call. Dr. Hilton, I worked in the administration at HCMC for almost 20 years in the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s, and I have respect for all of the physicians, nurses, pharmacists, staff, everybody there. And my question is, uh, for your opinion, is I have a friend who's a pharmacist, has her doctorate in pharmacy, and also a dentist, and they are not getting the vaccine because they say until it receives final FDA approval, all it has now is approval for emergency, room, so people that are getting it, if some side effects so much so they said they could in the next year or two, because there's still too many unknowns, they have no legal recourse about anything. So I myself have not gotten it, and I do not plan to get it. And I would just like to hear your, your opinion on that, and I appreciate your listening, I will listen on the, on the radio. Thank you. Well, thanks, Jim, for, uh, A, for being an old Hennepin person and for, and for your comment. It is true that the, all the vaccines for COVID are under what's called an EUA, Emergency Use Authorization. This does not mean they're unsafe, however. Uh, it just simply means that the, the, the normal several-year period of time and follow-up was waived because the early data was so pot- powerfully strong um, in, in, in the vaccine safety and its effectiveness. And so the emergency use authorization simply means that the, the studies are, that are still ongoing, uh, can't, we can't wait for those results. If we were to wait for the, for the several years of studies, there would be tens of millions more people who have died. And so the, the, EUA, in my opinion, and in the opinion of almost everybody I've ever talked to, is not a reason to not get this vaccine. Hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine have gone out. I can't imagine how much more data would convince somebody that it's safe than to know that hundreds of millions of people are getting it. And ironically, it's sort of like what that, that discussion about, well, I'll wait till there's more data, is almost exactly what they said about the polio vaccine. And um, people said the same thing back then. Our scientists who make these really do know what they're doing. And I understand that it's it's a matter of trust and everybody's at a different place. And that's perfectly okay to be at a different place about the vaccine. But you are far more likely to have a problem from COVID-19. It isn't even close. You are far more likely to have a problem from COVID-19 than you are from this vaccine. So it's a personal decision for many, but uh, I don't know too many people who study uh, the, the science who would not recommend getting the vaccine. So it's a good question, though, Jim. It's reasonable to have those conversations.
0: All right, Dr. Hilden, we've got a lot of texts that have come in and reminding people you can call or text us. We have a couple more minutes here and then one more segment, 651-989-9226. One person is asking, what can you say about, oh, hold on. This is a kind of a longer thing about masks. My niece has an autoimmune disease. She's been taking treatments every week for the last... 12-plus years, she says she can't take the COVID shot, too dangerous. What can you say about this? Is she going to be wearing a mask, and do I need to stay six feet away from her at all times?
1: Uh, First of all, I don't think it's too dangerous. You might have an autoimmune disease, which might make the vaccine less effective in you but it's probably not more dangerous. So first of all, I would make darn sure uh, about the, the deal about why she doesn't feel she can get the vaccine. There might be a reason I'm not considering, but the vaccine is highly effective and highly safe for nearly everybody. Should you stay away from her and should she wear a mask? My answer to that would be: Look at your local transmissions. If if we're in a place where almost nobody has it in the community, down to one or two percent case positivity rate, you can be with her. I would recommend be masked, masked up, and I would recommend you keep your distance. Maybe a quick hug while wearing masks would be okay, but I would I would keep your distance from any unvaccinated person, any unvaccinated person, and that includes uh, just in the general community, not just, uh, immune compromised people. I think if you're not vaccinated, uh, you are playing with fire, um, to, uh, to go and be in, in situations with other people.
0: Okay. Um, more text coming in. Is there a home treatment for essential jaw tremors?
1: Yeah, um, that's a similar question. I don't think so. Um, I would go see a neurologist or an ear, nose, throat person if you have a jaw problem. You can see a physical therapist. There are physical therapists who deal with jaw issues as well, but start with an ENT doctor, then go to a physical therapist.
0: All right. We do have to go to break. Again, this is our open line show on healthy matters. Dr. David Hilden is ready to answer all your questions. Call us or text us in our final segment, 651-989-9226. We'll be right back. We are back on Healthy Matters Open Line Show. Give us a call or a text, 651-989-9226. We're going to go right to the phone lines, but I've got to share this great text from a listener. I heard your plea for blood donations. I just scheduled my first donation ever. It's a bit of a drive as I live here in rural northwest Wisconsin, but everything is a drive here. Well, congratulations, doctor. That's just music to my ears or to my eyes as I read this.
1: Yippee to that person. Thank you so much. You're doing the right thing. Thank you.
0: I wish they had signed their name because I would have said their name on the air. All right. Ken is on the line from Blaine. Hi, Ken. (laughs) Ken, are you with us? Yes, I am. Go ahead.
1: Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I am uh, going in. I have been having problems with my knees and kind of getting worse over time. I'm 75 years old. And I'm going in tomorrow to have... uh, Uh, I guess a steroid shots into my knees. And I'm kind of wondering how do they do that and uh, how does that work? Sure, Ken. Uh, A lot of people refer to that as a cortisone shot although we don't use cortisone very often anymore, it's usually some other steroid. A steroid is simply a very powerful anti-inflammatory, and rather than have you take it in a pill form, which means it goes throughout your whole body, an injection in your knee simply puts it right at the source of the problem. So if there's inflammation due to arthritis or some other cause that's causing pain, the anti-inflammatory will reduce the inflammation, and you'll give you'll get some relief from the pain. Now, that relief might be for a day. It might be for three or four months, but it will not be permanent. It simply reduces the inflammation. It doesn't get at the root of the problem. So it's safe to do. You can't do it every week. That's too many steroids in your body, but you can do it a few times a year to give you some relief until such time as you might want to do something like a surgery.
0: All right. Mana is on the line from Oakdale. Hi there, Mana. Hey, good morning. Thank you for um, answering. Uh, I have a question with, I have trouble with charley horses in my calves. I wake up, if I stretch my legs out during the night, I cramp up and I got to get out of bed. And I do not know what could be causing that. I do take magnesium at night when I go to bed.
1: The first thing I would do is make sure that you have, uh, uh, your nutrition is adequate and that your blood tests for things like iron deficiency are okay. So you might want to go see your doctor and ask them, Ask your doctor to do some basic blood tests. That's a first start. Make sure you're not iron deficient. Make sure you've got um, enough B12 vitamin in your body, and then make sure your nutrition is adequate. So that is kind of the nutritional aspects. Beyond that, you can try leg stretching uh, before bed. People often get some relief if they simply um, stretch out before bed so their muscles aren't so tensed up. And if none of that is working, uh, listeners on this show over the last decades have sworn by taking a teaspoon of mustard. I don't know if that helps, but listeners have said it does, and listeners are often right, (laughs) usually right. And so you might try that. Beyond that, go to a sleep doctor or your primary care doctor, and they can try to see if there's any prescription methods that might help you.
0: All right. Well, you know, at least mustard is something that's natural, and it can't do too much harm, right? Right.
1: No, did isn't going to hurt you. Give it a try. A lot of people swear by it.
0: Okay. This person is asking, can you sunburn your lips at a track meet yesterday? Now lips very puffy, uh, but they also might've been bitten by a bug. So
1: they're Most just definitely. kind of
0: wondering if you have any insight yeah. here.
1: Most definitely. You can sunburn your lips. In fact, your, your, your lips, especially your lower lip due to its angle is especially vulnerable to sunburn and you can get cancers on your lips. So use a lip um, balm with an SPF of 15 or higher. Uh, you can buy those at the store. That's what I strongly recommend because yes, you can sunburn your lips. So once they get sunburned, you can't do much about it. You can put Vaseline on there or something, but they, they just have to kind of heal up. You might take an Advil or something um, to reduce the pain and inflammation if you have those puffy lips. But the, the best thing is prevention. Lots of SPF in your lip balm.
0: Okay, this person says, I had Lyme disease. Can I give blood?
1: Yes. I'm not aware of any problems with Lyme disease in giving blood, especially unless it was untreated and you're having ongoing symptoms that are simply not going away. They will ask you if you feel well, and uh, so that would be one of them. But if you do no longer have a, a current Lyme infection, go for it.
0: All right. Okay, um, let's go back to the text line. We've got so many texts. Um, talk about plasma and platelets. A lot of blood-related are, questions today. Yeah, a lot of blood
1: questions, which is good. Platelets are little, teeny little cells, cellular elements in your body that and that are responsible for clotting your blood. That's important because if you don't have enough platelets and you cut yourself, you're going to bleed forever. Your platelets are the first messengers to uh, the site of a cut or a wound to stop the bleeding. And people um, often who have low platelets either due to cancer or other autoimmune diseases, um, those are the two biggies, they they bleed just endlessly and they bruise and they're their gums bleed and they cut their hand and they bleed. So platelets are used for that. Plasma is the watery part of your blood, not the red part, the watery part. So when we give a patient plasma, we're giving them all the cells and antibodies, all that rich goodness that is in the watery part of your blood. So they're all used in various uh, medical conditions. And so that's why when you donate whole blood, you're giving plasma, you're giving platelets, you're giving uh, red blood cells.
0: All right, Doc, a couple quick texts. Does hydrazoline cause weight gain?
1: Not that I'm aware of. In fact, if anything, I, I, I don't know too much about weight one way or the other. That's not a common complaint. If anything, it might cause a little bit of weight loss, but I'm not aware of any weight gain with, with hydralazine.
0: Why does long-term use of naproxen cause bleeding ulcers?
1: Right, Any NSAID, nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drug, and that would be aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen, Aleve, ibuprofen, Motrin, all of those, they do wear away at the lining of your stomach and intestines, and that can lead to ulcers. And if it wears enough away, it can lead to bleeding ulcers. So take it easy on those medications. Always take it easy on those medications. Don't overdo them. But particularly if you have ulcer problems, um, you should avoid them entirely.
0: Oh my gosh, that does not sound pretty. Okay, that no. is it for another edition of Healthy Matters. The good news, though, for all the folks we didn't get to your text, more open lines next Sunday, same station, same time. So Dr. Hilden and I will be back. You can, of course, follow both of us on Twitter, at David Hilden and at R. Be sure to text us questions during the week. And Dr. Hilden, a final thought from you.
1: Everybody stay safe, stay cool outside, drink plenty of fluids, wear your sunscreen and have a great uh, great week on these beautiful su- summer days.